Now, uh, we have two scripture verses, two scripture portions that I would like to share with you, but one of them is actually in your bulletin. So if you look in the third page in your bulletin, right after our vision statement, you will find the one from Galatians. And the one from Galatians is basically our base for the entire summer. We're going to read it today, and at the end of the message, we will then read the other verse, which will fit into the style of today's message. If you would be so kind as to follow along in the reading of Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 25. Actually, in those two last paragraphs, do you see the one that says, but the Holy Spirit? Do you see it? I would like for you to join me there, but I will remind you when I get there. Okay? So listen to and for the word of the Lord as it is found in Galatians shared through Paul. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy the sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, may I repeat, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Oh, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry of all kinds, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of angers, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other things, sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living the sword of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now join me together. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires on their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The word of the Lord. Amen. It is exciting to have all of us participate in the reading of Scripture. And actually, this is some of the few things that we learned as we were going out there in the Calvin Institute for Worship 
and, and adoration. Now, one uh, afternoon or one early morning, I snuck out from the crowd as we had a break, and I made my way, Charles, to the library of the Institute. And there was a big, huge plaque of Mr. John Calvin at the entrance of the Institute. I knew that there are documents in that building, letters handwritten by Mr. John Calvin, and I snuck over to the librarian who was there at that time, and I befriended him to the point that he allowed me to put on the gloves. He opened the vault, and I actually held in my hands in a plaque one of the letters handwritten by John Calvin to Luther in 1572 were in French, and I had the privilege of being able to read the letter in French. It was old French, so I had struggled. Uh, how the, the baptism is not a one-day event in the life of the believer. Calvin was insisting to Luther that baptism is a daily yes that we say to Jesus as when we woke up every single morning. That the baptism, that the yes that we said at the ritual, whether it was us or somebody on behalf of us, it becomes a continuous yes in our daily walk with the Lord. Wow, what an experience to read that in the original handwriting by Calvin. Those are the little privileges that we can sneak around sometimes. But, but you know, Paul was a great expositor, uh, was a great writer, and Calvin was a great expositor of, of Paul. And, and today, I want to introduce about the whole thing of, of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit story is actually found in Galatians. Galatians is one of the oldest letters that we have from Paul. Paul is actually arguing with Peter about Peter being a Judaizer because Galatians is a letter that corrects, it's a letter that confronts, it's a letter that encourages the people of Galatia to stay faithful to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with a stern confrontation right at the beginning, right at the beginning in verse 6 of the first chapter. He has not even said, grace and peace be to you, O saints in Galatia. Oh no, who has been with you, O silly and foolish Galatians? Right off the bat. So it is a letter that Paul is writing to correct. In the first four chapters, he is actually denouncing the, the confusion that the Galatians have gotten into. And many of us in Presbyterian and Reformed circles also fall prey to the same tendency as the Galatians fell prey to, which was to accept grace accept forgiveness of all of our sin through the wonderful, unconditional grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but then maintaining yourself safe through works. Oh, we do it all so often and so subtle that spirit of working, earning our love of God slips into our hearts that we sometimes don't even recognize it. We even think, if I don't go to church, God won't love me. Well, He does uh, but I'd rather you come. But that's me. You see, God does not manipulate us into guilt. We do that to ourselves. So the whole idea that Paul is saying is, you know, actually they were being told, you are saved by grace, but you have to assimilate to the Jewish traditions. No, Paul said, we are free from those traditions. We are free from those social obligations because we are now free in the new kingdom 
of God, which has none of those requirements. So from the beginning, we see in verse 3 of the the book, chapter 3, verse 3, how foolish can you be, Galatians? How foolish can we be, Americans? How foolish can we be that after starting our Christian lives in the Spirit, now we want to finish it by our own efforts? The old King James used to say it nicer sometimes. He used to say, why are you foolish Galatians? What God began in the Spirit, in the spirit now you want to finish in the flesh? By no means. Now, it's interesting that when we are talking about the gifts of the Spirit, there is a subtleness here that if the right, if the preacher and the teacher is not aware of it, they will fall in the same, in the same trap. The first four chapters, Paul is telling the Galatians, stop trying to do. Stop trying to do. Stop trying to achieve God's love. Stop trying to convince God to love you. Stop trying to do the stuff to earn God's favor. No more you have to do that, Paul is telling the Galatians, because in Christ you are completed. In Christ you have everything that God has bestowed on in you through Christ, in you through the Spirit. So it dwells within us. It dwells in us, the fullness of God, as Paul also reminds the Colossians. So how full it is for us to even think that when we teach the the fruit of the Spirit, there are two approaches basically to teach the fruit of the Spirit. We either teach it the human way, which would be my tendency as a good psychologist that I used to be. Well, good, I don't know about that. But as a psychologist that I was... And we would want to teach these virtues as something to strive for, as something to achieve, as something that through human effort we could become more loving, we could become more generous, we could become more kind, we could become more more patient, we could become more gentle. That is the human approach of teaching the gifts of the Spirit. But wait a minute. Paul has been telling us in the last four chapters, stop doing. So what is this then? But then he tells us in chapter 5, do this. Is he contradicting himself? Or is there a subtleness here that we just have to bring out and, and, I, and I would like to unpack little by little? The subtleness here is that we can never achieve any higher stature than that that we have. We cannot become more loving by psychological, oh, yeah, we can change a little 16%. That's what statistics say. We can manage a little 16%. But that would be the, in my opinion, the wrong way of teaching the gospel. Because you see, God has not called us to preach good advice. God has not called us to give you a checklist of the things to do so you can become a better human being in this society. God has called us to share with you the transforming, joyful power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which again, I repeat, it is transforming. It is not something that you achieve on yourself. It is not something that you're able to ascend by your efforts. So what is this all about? It is precisely about God's Spirit in you 
and me. You see, Paul had another methodology. Paul said, give up your fleshly attempts to do the works of God. Give them up. But instead, look what he says in, in the verses. But the Holy Spirit, what's the word? Produces. That's the key word. The Holy Spirit produces. Psalm 92, verse 13 and 14 says, Blessed is the one who dwells in the courts of the Lord, whose roots is right by the river, and who's always green, and the good version says, and full of sap. So it is something that is birthed within us. It is not something that we attain by our efforts. It is something that is birthed within us. It's something that's produced within us. It is something that is born from us. Something that is already within us. But we need to discover it and let it flow. Yes, let it flow. Why even bother with the love of God? Well, my suggestion is that the true love of God, it always casts away fear. And it casts away, and it brings people together. Those are the two signs of true love of God. It casts away fear, and it brings people together. Now, why even bother? Because I think that the love of God is a lot better than human love. I would describe human love to be conditionally mature, demanding, selective. I would describe it to be remorseful, unforgiving, manipulative, and even deceiving. Oh, we've been there, those of us who have grace and those of us who hide it once in a while. God's, king, God's kind of love, however, God's love, on the other hand, is unconditional. What do you have between you and God? What brokenness is between standing between you and God? You know what? God doesn't see it. Because God's love is unconditional. God's love is not manipulative. It's ever forgiven. It's accepting. It's involved. It shares. It believes. It expects the best for others. It's giving. It's restoring. It's repairing. It's redeeming. And it's changing. Never changing. Ever changing. Ever present. And protective. It frees us. It inspires us. It motivates us to go and experience life. Not to be afraid of it. See, the only other approach is from self-improvement. You have to really work at these things. You have to do the checklist. You have to do that. However, let me share with you what the amazing task is. Paul says that as you participate, listen to the words, that as you participate, that as you relate to the triune God in word, in worship, in sacrament, in fellowship, and above all, in mission to others. Let me repeat this. Paul implies that as you and I participate, as you and I get involved, as you and I get into the love of God, into God's movement in the life of our community, as we share in God's triune being through love, worship, sacrament, fellowship, and above all, in mission, then those qualities are born, are produced in us. It is not through human effort. It is the effort of the Spirit in us. What do we do? We yield. 
We yield. Can we say that word? We yield to God's love. You see, because God's love is better than human love, and it casts away all fears, and it brings people together. And that's what we're about in our mission here. You see, not only that, we have what it takes to be able to love our community. We have what it takes to be able to change our community. We've been proving it little by little as we have opened our doors to the community and others are coming to come and taste and see how good the Lord is. In essence, my beloved, it is an attempt to accept people just as they are, just as you and I have been accepted. It is the practice of believing that people out there are also called to be servants of God with you and I, and that they are valuable to God. It is a call to care when we hurt for one another. It is a call to desire the best for others. It is a call to ease the burdens of others and help liberation. It is the call to forgive all offenses that people may have done out there as we welcome them into the kingdom of God. That is the true love of God. Then, my dear sister and brother, then and only then have we loved like we have been loved. Then and only then we will bother for the love of God. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither, neither angels, angels nor, nor demons, demons, neither, neither our, our fears for today nor our worries, worries about, about tomorrow. tomorrow. Not, Not even, even the powers the power of hell can separate us from God's love. love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, nothing in, in all creation, creation will, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ, in Christ Jesus, Jesus our Lord. Lord. Why bother? Amen.